morning restoration ryan here hey i just want to take a second and thank danza's vorka because the last couple weeks have been phenomenal and if you've missed any of dan's teaching um in the last two passages of mark i would encourage you to go back definitely catch the youtube version you can catch the podcast if you want but you're gonna miss a lot of good stuff dan is so creative and did a lot of work. Um, he puts me to shame on this one camera shoot, just standing here talking to you thing. Um, he has props and people and angles and cameras. So if you missed it, uh, one of the things I really love about Dan is that he pushes me and he pushes me to think about my following, my apprenticing of Jesus in a way that sometimes is really uncomfortable. Sometimes it is frustrating and um, it makes me think, it makes me wrestle. And, and here's the thing, the temptation is, and this is for all of us, the temptation is for us is to, and it's easy to do this, to take the words of Jesus, to take the uh, apprenticeship, the discipleship of Jesus and try to fit it into uh, how we want to live our lives how we want to spend our money, how we want to uh, raise our family and where we want to live and all those things. And the, the tricky thing is, is that mixing following Jesus with the American dream is, is, is dangerous. And we have to be very vigilant together as a community on how we follow Jesus. And so I want to thank Dan for those words. And I think that really propels us into kind of where we're going today in many ways. And I'll get to that here in just a second. But I want to remind you as a church, and this is a little bit of a family church chat right now. A few weeks ago in June, we started kind of a prayer, uh, a moment, I mean, a, a really a season of prayer in the life of our church. Whereas our leadership team and our staff and our church, we were praying about the direction for us as a church. I shared with you something called liminal space, and this is moment where um, it, it's it's a Latin word limina, which is, means threshold, and it means this kind of a passageway, really, from one season or one room to the next room, or one season of life into the next season of life. And you know all about this. You've experienced this in your own life. And liminal space is difficult space because um, it's uncertain. It, it's, um, it's without handholds. It feels foreign. It's not fun. And it's where many in the Christian tradition um, believe that God does his best work. It's all over scripture. It's all over the major stories of scripture about the people of God transitioning from one place to the next. It's hard. It's frustrating. There's many times where we cry out and say, God, we just want to go back. Even though that place isn't our home, we would just rather go back to where you had us before. And we've been wrestling with this as a church. Obviously, the pandemic has, has changed a lot of things from businesses to schools to churches. It's changed a lot of things. But one of the things that I recognize is that God is doing something in us. And he's been doing something in us in house churches. He's been doing something in us in our, our lament, in our having to have patience, uh, 
for what's next, not only in the life of our church, but in other areas. And so where we find ourselves right now as a church, based on uh, our rental situation, uh, based on the fact that schools aren't renting to churches, based on there's a number of churches that have sold their buildings over the last year, we find ourselves in a position where we are in, being invited into a conversation about sharing space with the church that I'm currently standing in right now. Now, what that doesn't mean is we're going to share space in this beautiful sanctuary. We're actually going to share some kids' space downstairs, and we are going to set up our worship gathering in the gymnasium. Now, it's an older building, uh, been very well kept up, but it's different than we're used to. It's different than the Arvada Center. And so we've been invited to try this out August 15th. It's a week from today. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Um, I'm asking you to flex a bit on time. We've been asked to do our gathering at 9 a.m. to allow them to do their gathering up here at 1030 without a lot of stepping on toes. Okay. Um, we're going to enter through, we'll have signs, we'll show you how to enter. Uh, we'll have our own bathrooms, we'll have our own kids space, we'll have our own kind of hangout lobby, and we'll have our own worship space in the gym. Now, it's not going to be all the bells and whistles that we normally have, and, and if this works out, we'll probably add some things to our uh, community life that will help our environment and help um, everything work better. But here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you would come. I'm asking that you would bring your family, bring friends, bring your house church, 9 a.m. next Sunday at Fellowship Covenant Church, and we are going to be together. And here's what I can guarantee. I can guarantee that being together will be phenomenal, that we'll, we'll be able to worship together, that we'll, we'll have a live teaching together. Our kids will be able to be together and you'll get to see faces you haven't seen, you know, a lot. Uh, maybe you've been picking up on the summer, you know, outdoor picnic shelters you've been gathering. But the other thing I can guarantee is we're going to have really good coffee. Um, the Arvada Center coffee wasn't that good. But we get to do our own coffee, and we love coffee. And so I want you to be there 9 a.m. And here's also what I want you to do. Be gracious to our hosts. They are, um, they are opening up and giving this a shot and and be gracious to our hosts it's not easy to share your space with somebody else they are being so hospitable to us and we would like to return the hospitality to them and um, so it's gonna be a pretty basic setup please be here and we want your feedback because this fall we're gonna be on a every other Sunday rhythm we really believe in the power of the house church right now in the life of our church. In this season, we believe in this. And we're going to continue to do that. In fact, we're starting new house churches as we speak. There's a lot of momentum behind it. There's a lot of excitement behind it. If you're not in a house church, reach out. Let us know. We want to plug you in. But maybe some of you are just like, hey, we're just going to take in the all church gathering. And that's fine. It'll be every other Sunday, and we'll have the dates all laid out for you, but they all start on August 15th. 
And so thank you for being patient with all of this. Um, thank you for just being on the journey with us. Some of you might be frustrated. Some of you might be longing for community again. Uh, we want to be there for you. Okay, so let me pray and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for this community, this community that wrestles together with the hard words that you say to us through your word, through the recorded words of Jesus. You wrestle with us as the Holy Spirit meets us as we courageously open scripture together. God, we are excited about and nervous about the future. God, do your work in us as a community. Let us uh, believe the best about each other. Let us um, hold those anxious feelings that we have about what's next and when we're going to be stable and when we're going to be comfortable and all those things, God. Would you wrestle some of that out of us? Would you choose to turn our faces towards each other and care for each other and believe the best about each other and honor each other and protect each other in this season, we pray. Amen. Okay, listen, today is one of the last days we're going to be in the book of Mark for this, this chapter, this season. We're going to pick up the, the gospel of Mark again in 22. Uh, 2022, that is. Um, and this is a, a perfect kind of near-breaking uh, point for the teaching series, because if you've studied Mark before, like the first uh, chunk of it, the first 10 chapters are Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, and literally the last six chapters are all about one week in the life of Jesus, the last week, the Passion Week. And so, we find that this is a good spot to begin to break away and do something else. I'm excited about fall teaching. I'm not going to get into that today, but there's some exciting things coming for us, uh, unique to our situation and where I believe God has us going. And so um, hang with us. Um, let me start uh, chapter 10, verse 32. It says this, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who, were fo who followed were afraid. So there's a lot of emotion going on right now, not only in the disciples, but in those others who are following at the moment. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Okay, listen to this. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will hand um, and, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, um, there's different kinds of courage. Would you agree? Uh, question amongst yourselves. Uh, different kinds of courage. There is the kind of courage that is courage to face the day, courage to face a new challenge in your life. Um, I spend a lot of time with officers who we talk about uh, 
what would you do in this scenario? What would you do in this? And, and so many, the officers that I ride with are just um, cued in on this idea of running towards danger, running towards um, uh, a threat. Um, and th that takes a certain kinds of courage to do that. Not everybody is cut out to do that. But then there's the kind of courage that is facing an inevitability, meaning facing the pain uh, uh, and the suffering and, and this knowledge that you are going to die. And sitting with people who, I mean, the reality is we're all going to die, but sitting with people who have been given that terminal diagnosis and have a few days to live or a few weeks to live. It's, it's a whole different kind of courage. Jesus has to face, he's facing his, his final week. He's facing, he knows what's coming. He knows the, the mocking, the spitting, the flogging, and his own crucifixion, his own death is coming. But he also knows resurrection's coming. But there's a certain kind of courage here that Jesus has, um, and he's facing it, and he's facing this terminal outcome and this suffering. And here's the thing. This is the third time, three times, Jesus has, has told his disciples that he must be killed. Three times. He, he, the first time was in Caesarea Philippi. Um, the second time was on the, the, the mountaintop, you know, where he is transfigured and it's Peter, James, and John. And then uh, there's this time. And each time he tells what is about to happen, he tells it with more clarity, more detail. And remember, you and I know what happens. The readers of Mark's gospel and and, and Mark's account is meant for uh, some Roman Christians. We know what happens. The reader, the hearer knows already what is about to happen. But in the context of this story, the disciples don't know. They're frustrated. They don't get it. They're playing in their minds with a different expectation of who Jesus is. And... Jesus was not taken by surprise. It's not like he's telling the disciples, you know, this might happen. If things go well, you know, this will happen. But if things go bad, this will happen. No, he knows what's going to happen. He says, this will happen. I will be handed over. I will suffer. I will die. But in three days, I will rise. And the disciples can't get their heads around it. You know, I think many times you and I can't get our heads around it. Sure, we get to a point where we um, think about the physical suffering of Jesus. And obviously this passage talks about that. Jesus talks about his being spit on and mocked and killed and flogged. But I don't think we get our heads really around the suffering the anguish, the spiritual anguish, the great agony of what Jesus did for us was bearing our shame. 
bearing our sin. You know, that word sin's a tricky word, and this whole thing is still just such a huge mystery to us. We have trouble getting it. But think about the collective shame that just our community, if we were to pool our collective shame and our collective guilt and our collective sin and our collective brokenness and heap that, think about that weight on one person. It's unbelievable. And yet scripture tells us that that's what Jesus did for the history of humanity. And the courage to face that, the courage to walk towards that. And geographically to walk uphill towards that is is an enormous mystery to me, is an enormous weight to me. And he sets, Jesus sets his face exactly towards that. He's resolved, he's got a sense of courage, He knows that he is the sacrificial lamb, and those kind of lambs suffer and die. And so here's the thing I want to do this morning. I want to make you a promise that if you literally in the next two minutes you could turn this off and do what I ask you, is I promise you could be incredible, and you would get ten times more out of the day than if you were to just listen to this teaching and go about your day. We're not about just teaching here. Um, I'm not about your thinking I'm a good teacher or some incredible orator. Um, you all know the quirks about my little, you know, teaching rhythm and things I say and I have certain phrases. It's not about me. If, if you were to just take this passage that I read, and meditate on it. Like really meditate on it. Like get alone, get a cup of coffee, go to a park. Meditate on it. Read it over and over. Take words and phrases and roll them over in your head a number of times. And listen and ask. Reflect. Meditate on it. Here's what's going to happen to you. What's going to happen to you is the Holy Spirit's going to meet you. Right in that. And the Holy Spirit's going to reveal some things. And there's no other way this happens. You can listen to all the podcasts, that have, all the teaching that's ever happened on this passage. And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit would reveal something more deeply and more powerfully than any of those teachings could combine. Some of you are total podcast. Um, I was going to use a bad word. Some of you are really into podcasts. But listening to a podcast and meditating on scripture are two different things. And if we were to just take this announcement, this prediction of Jesus and meditate on it, I believe that the Holy Spirit would tell us things about Jesus that you would never know. There would be a a deep layer, uh, a deep uh, penetration of God's Spirit in us. 
Because Jesus is yielding to the will of the Father. And he's trying to convince the disciples that this yielding to the will of the Father is part of the Father's plan to rescue. It's the kind of love that would never run out. It's the kind of love that never lets down. And remember, you know the story. They did not get the story at this point. And they don't understand the fact that Jesus is the kind of Messiah that would suffer. Their version of Messiah is completely different. Their version of Messiah is conquering. War horse. Riding Messiah. Not a, not a baby donkey. Riding Messiah. And the idea that the Messiah would come, but then suffer and die and be crucified? No way. No way. And there's this line at the Last Supper, and Jesus uh, does this thing with his disciples where he's trying to get them to believe and have an allegiance kind of faith. And he says things like, all this had to happen. This had to happen. Because of my love for you, because of God's love for his people. Listen, some of you know this. Uh, I do a lot of premarital counseling. And I love, it's one of my favorite parts of my job. Um, a young couple sitting in front of me. There's been some rough ones, but um, a young couple sitting in front of me with this, this excitement for the future, for the love in their eyes, the, the excitement for the season ahead. And we do all the things, right? We do personality tests. We talk about past and future and expectations and, and family dynamics and the wedding ceremony. But then I have this really huge heart-to-heart -heart with them. And you can tell sometimes that there's like this excitement for the wedding itself, the actual event. And um, I, 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 I have to uh, be careful because sometimes I... I hurt feelings and things like that because they're they're like, and then we're going to hire fairies and they're going to sprinkle magic marriage dust. And I'm just like, listen, all that stuff, who cares? I don't care where you're getting, I'd rather you get married in a church um, besides, you know, like a park or a vista or whatever. Like wherever you get married doesn't necessarily make your marriage more special. Um, it makes the wedding more interesting and you can talk about it. But the the whole thing of the whole wedding, I don't care if it's, a, you know, what you're wearing, where you are, who's there, what the flowers are, I don't care. The vows are the most important thing. Now, what I say as the officiant, the vows are the most important thing. And I push our, uh, our, our couples um, in their idea of what a vow is and how a vow before God is a, is a promise. It's a it's an expectation is what I'm vowing to do for you no matter what. And you know what the vows are. I mean, the traditional vows are for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. You know, those, those are vows. Um, but vows are not um, flowery. They're not, uh, they're not, I always joke, like, it's not about you both like the color blue and you want to have a certain amount of kids. That's not a vow. A vow is something that uh, you lay down your life for that person. 
And in so many ways, that's what Jesus is, has done and is saying here to the disciples. Um, he chose to love us. He chose to love us to the fullest, to the furthest degree possible. Take it to the furthest place possible. And the cross and the resurrection are the foundation of it all. It is this place where that Jesus is a perfect um, non-sinful, never sinned before, perfect human being, how God created us to be, lived a full uh, existence, suffered and died, and then rose again. And the cross is the central place for that. In all of our belief, the cross is the central place for, for that love that we that, and that forgiveness and that purpose in life that comes from who Jesus is towards us. And so the challenge is for you and me, and I would encourage you to do this, to meditate on these verses because I want you to see and experience how great this love is. That for some of you, doing that would change everything. That the level of anxiety, frustration, depression, um, I'm not saying it's a, a depression solver. or a, I'm just saying that you have not connected with Jesus with uh, the Holy Spirit in, in a way that has been moving and profound because of the busyness of your life, the expectations and the letdowns of this world, and you're hoping a podcast or a teaching will, will, will pull you out of it. No. Meditate on Jesus and what his words are and what he's done for us. Um, and, and that could be the most important thing you do in your life this week, this day. But here's what happens. Verse 35, Jesus, uh, it says, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Okay, so he's just done this third prediction. And just like all the predictions, there's something that happens afterwards that you just kind of laugh at. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and says, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, um, crazy question. Uh, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. Now, three separate predictions. Okay, you remember them. There was the first one at Caesarea Philippi and Peter said, uh, no, Jesus, you're not going to do that whole going to the cross thing. And Jesus tells him to get behind him, Satan. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, the second one is, is the, 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 uh, they're on the mountaintop. And Jesus does another prediction, and he's going to be suffer. He's going to suffer and die. And and then the following passage is, hey, which one of us is the greatest? Like, like it's just colossal, missing the point. And this is the third one, where the, where where they're just saying, hey, uh, make sure we get good spots to sit in power with you. And Jesus says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. I mean, they're just like, yeah, we can do that. Remember the past few passages, they haven't done one thing right. They haven't cast out a demon. They haven't done anything right. They've missed everything. And Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant, he says. These places belong to those from whom they have been prepared. And so after the third prediction here, these guys just want to 
a good spot. They want to uh, they want to sit in positions of power and influence on either side of Jesus, and it's this selfish ambition again that just keeps to keeps rippling to the like creeping to the surface, because they desire to be the greatest. They desire for status. They they have kind of an inside track, and they want to they want to be known for that inside track. It says in verse 41, and this is when the other disciples hear about this. Listen to this. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus calls them together. So I love every single time something is um, not right in the community. Every single time that there's something fractured and broken and there's anger and, and frustration, Jesus pulls them all together. You know, what do we do in our culture? We 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 peel people off and we're like, can you believe what that person said or that person did? Jesus pulls them all together. And they all have to look, kind of look at each other. And, and then he begins to talk to them. And he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. He's like, you know how it works out there? Power, control, uh, oppression, um, uh, all these things. That's how it works out there. And then he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, that's how it goes out there. That's how they operate. Not so with you. And I think there's two great realities here as we, as we wrap this up. The first one is this. If you want to share in the master's reward, you have to share in the master's suffering. Meaning, Sometimes I think we're, we're kind of convinced of kind of a little bit of a bait-and-switch Christianity in the sense of uh, Jesus forgives all your sins. He wants you to go to heaven when you die. All you got to do is repent, pray this prayer, and then you're in. But then you start to read the words of Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus, and you're like, wait a second. This is a lot harder. This is requiring more of me than... I thought when I was at the camp, around the campfire, and when I had those great feelings of forgiveness and love. See, sometimes we have this interesting um, moment in our following of Jesus where we run face first into the idea that it's going to cost us. That in order to experience what God has for us, and experience the kingdom and experience the right relationships with others and right relationships with God and right relationship with creation and a right relationship with ourselves and over time and to see how God is going to just flourish the kingdom. That's exciting. That's glory. But on the way to that is suffering. On the way to that is laying down our lives. On the way to that is becoming a servant. And that's the part of this that's really hard. 
what's happening here is, is, is physically speaking, technically speaking, the disciples are following Jesus. But they're following Jesus and they have different agendas. I mean, could it be that you and I follow Jesus? But if we're honest, we have a different agenda. Could that be the case? I mean, Jesus is constantly trying to pull me out of this idea of a self-focus and, and, a, and, a, and being comfortable. And, and it's just a constant theme in my life. And I think it's a constant theme in all of our lives. Uh, one of my favorite books is a guy named Mike Erie. He wrote this book called um, The Jesus of Sub Suburbia. And I have a lengthy quote here. I think, think this makes... a. Uh, a bit of sense right here in this teaching. It says, throughout the scriptures, God gives us constant reminders of his vastness and his majesty. He reveals and invites us into relationship, but he never allows us to forget how big he is. In the Old Testament, his name served that purpose. So did the fact that he appeared to people without form, but the Israelites couldn't handle a God that awesome. And they set about, time and again, to reduce him to a more manageable size. This has always been the temptation of the people of God, to tame him. He increases mystery, we desire to remove it. He introduces paradox, we seek to solve it. We, like the Israelites before us, want a God who is understandable and predictable and safe. We want a God who makes sense and operates according to generally accepted accounting principles. But instead, we meet Yahweh and his son, Yeshua, who don't play by our rules. And this is the thing. The rules of this world are different than the rules of following Jesus. I mean, following Jesus is upside down. And Jesus says, if you want to experience the glory, then you have to go through the suffering. Well, we don't want that. We want to tame that. We want to explain that away. We want to marge, minimize that and push that to the side. But I think the second reality, and this is really important, is this. In God's kingdom, the great are servants. The great are servants. The way to greatness is the road that goes down, not up. We talked about uh, this idea of becoming less and to go down and instead of accumulating more and to being more. And, and it's literally a community that's kind of trying to outserve each other, not in like a competitive um, uh, pat ourselves on the back kind of way, but outserving, like outserving our community. Like, we should be out-serving our friends who don't know Jesus. But sadly, we don't. What if we all did this? Like, it's kind of like what Dan said. Like, what if we all tried this? Like, what if we all tried to out-serve each other? Like, out-care for each other. Out-care for and serve the people around us in our community. What if we did that? You know... The other day, I have a really good friend of mine um, who is uh, not ambulatory. So, uh, and we went to a baseball game uh, the other 
uh, night, and it was it was awesome. Um, the, the amazing thing about the Colorado Rockies, and I'm a Giants fan, first place, by the way. Um, been first place for a long time, just FYI. Um, I know that hurts your feelings, but um, but I did go to a Rockies game, and I was rooting for the Rockies because we were playing the Evil Empire, the Dodgers, and uh, the Rockies do an incredible job at serving the handicapped community. It's incredible. And um, so we are in these incredible seats. And after the game, uh, I wheel Tim up um, and we get into the car, we get him into the car and we get him home. I get him home and um, there's certain procedures that he needs done in order to go to bed. And there's no one around but me. And I, I gotta be honest with you, it, it was um, certain things that he asked me to do um, that he needed done in order to get him into bed so that he could sleep. And um, I, it, it, they, were, they were new things for me. I'm not a nurse. <laughs> I'm not a home health care provider. It was uncomfortable. It was hard but he's my friend. And I was driving away. And I was reflecting on Tim and I got to see his life. Like what his human life is like. And it was hard. And what the constraints are to his day. And uh, the limits of his reach and the limits of his freedom. And it gave me a lot of compassion. And it gave us a deeper level of friendship. That, that we're, we're really good friends, but it gave me a closer friendship with him. And I think Jesus is doing this with us. He's, he's pulling us together and he's saying, hey, listen, this is how the world operates. This is how some churches operate. This is how in some institutions operate. Not so with you. Not so with you. You got to serve each other. You gotta bend for each other. You gotta break for each other. You gotta break for this world. You gotta hurt for this world. You can't just hold yourself off, um, limit your interaction, keep people at arm's length. You have to hurt and bleed for each other. He's saying not so with you. He's saying that to us. He's saying this is not you. Like he might be pulling, he might be doing something in you right now, the Holy Spirit saying this is not you. When it comes to that person you want to avoid, not so with you. When it comes to that person that you want to fight with about politics, not so with you. When it, when it comes to making, you like maybe you want to make yourself look better in this moment, uh, better than a coworker or somebody else in your life. 
Not so with you, Jesus says. That's not us. When you want to put your money away and hide money and scroll money away and, and there's people around you in need, Jesus says, not so with you. That's not us. And, and here's the thing. I think it's just so important for us to understand this. Jesus is not vitally committed to your and I, our comfort and our safety. He's not committed to it. He's not committed to your safety. He's not committed to your convenience or your comfort. He's committed to the advancing of his kingdom uh, in this revolution in the hearts of his people. That's what he's committed to. And Jesus teaches that you and I are salt and light. And, and in effect, what he's saying is that you and I are the greatest living, breathing example and apologetic, meaning a defense of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That actually living an obedient life, that following Jesus, that laying down our lives, that becoming less, that suffering and dying for people around us is the way of Jesus. And that that's the greatest apologetic for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Dallas Willard says this, and he quotes, actually, he quotes Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche said that the best uh, uh, compelling life lived is one that is lived as a long obedience in the same direction. That those are the most compelling lives that people want to have a part of is a long obedience in the same direction. And one of the biggest paradoxes to our faith is this, that we follow a suffering service, that uh, suffering servant, that Jesus conquered death, he conquered sin, he overcame what? Through suffering, through sacrificial love. And that's what we're invited to. So the question is for you and I, is it possible for you and I to follow Jesus and have a different agenda? Yeah, the disciples did. The ones who were actually physically following Jesus did that. Could we be following Jesus with a different agenda than Jesus? Where are the places that Jesus is saying not so with you? Let me pray. Jesus, change us. Rescue us from the agendas that we have. Show us what it looks like to be a servant and a slave to each other. We see that the mode and the prominence of the kingdom of God is radically different from this world. That greatness for followers of Jesus is for those who become servants, for those who are slaves, and a servant looks to the needs of others and a slave gives up all rights and personal claims. God, show us how to do this. Show us how to practice this together. Show us how to let this spill out to our world. We pray these things in your name. Amen.